This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. Last week on London Live, we were talking about what we could do next. The protests that had been going on, the rallies that had been going on, the attention drawn to things that needed to change in our community. That was one thing. And pledging support by way of words, that's, that's, that's good. What were we going to see happen next? Well, we're going to talk about a story right now that illustrates a next, which is amazing. Joining us from Dad Club of London is Jeremy McCall. Jeremy, thank you for being here. Thank you for what you've done. We're going to tell the story in a minute. How you doing? Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Let's kind of go back to where this all started, because we have a racist act and probably just one of more than one that an individual in our community has experienced. But this was one that was brought up, and it goes to, all of a sudden, a meeting, a communication, an idea, and then things just keep on rolling after that. So where do you want to begin when telling this story? Uh, yeah, so probably about a week and a half ago when um, things really reached a tipping point in the U.S., uh, we made just a post on our Facebook page for Dad Club London just saying Black Lives Matter, saying that we believe in everyone, we support them, and we stand with them. And one of our members, he's pretty new to Canada. Uh, he's been here less than a year. He moved here from Jamaica. And he reached out to me privately. He said, hey, I really appreciate seeing that post. It really kind of helped turn my day around. Uh, a couple days ago at my second job, uh, there was an incident where I was working the drive through window and three white guys pulled up when they saw that I was black. They started making monkey noises and they threw money at me. Uh, he, he said, I guess that's just the way the world is. And that really kind of crushed me to hear because that's not the world that we want to be a part of. And so when I was recounting that to the other guys in Dad Club, uh, one of our members named Gary, he's on our board. He's also on the board for London Police Association. He said, why don't we do something about this? And I said, yeah, let's do something about this. And it's hard because with COVID, we're aware that 43% of our members are either on CERB or on reduced income. And so we said, you know, let's put the word out, see what kind of uh, donations we can generate and see how much of the her uh, school year we can help pay for. Uh, his wife's in college, and he said, is there other ways to pay for college in Canada other than just working? And I, at first we were willing to, you know, help write some scholarship applications. But then the ball started rolling. It took a life of its own. And the challenge was that we didn't want Maurice to know what was happening. We wanted to do it without their knowledge and surprise them. Uh, so I put some posts up on social media saying, hey, guys, we have a good reputation for raising money. We have something secret going on right now. It's really important. It's really special. If you're interested, please reach out. Uh, one of the people that reached out was Maurice because he's just that kind of guy. He said, hey, what are we supporting? I want to ship in. And I said, okay, uh, I had to make up something on the spot. Uh, he totally believed it. He went for it. He donated to something that we were not donating to. Uh, and the donations kept coming. Word got out. Some local politicians put their... Um, money and their voices behind it. And I think we ended up with 71 people, organizations and workplaces donating to us. And we went from hoping to pay for a piece of the school year and helping to connect with organizations and people to fundraise for the press to just paying for the whole thing ourselves. 
Uh, we were able to cover tuition, uh, books, fees, and an extra $1,000 on top for any other incidentals, groceries, rent, whatever else comes up along the way to help pay for uh, her final year of college. This is astounding and amazing. Wow. Okay, so you go back to a simple communication, a simple thank you, and a member of Dad Club London who hasn't been in Canada very long sees the worst that people can do, and now sees that things can be uh, can be kind of at the other end of the spectrum. This is a phenomenal thing that has happened. When you started seeing some of the, the connections to this coming in and some of those donations coming in, when it's a secret fundraiser, people will look and say, I don't know. What was it like to watch the numbers start to grow, Jeremy? Uh, it was pretty amazing. So we have a scholarship called the Bob Jez Award. Uh, Bob Jez was a member of ours. Uh, he was a local teacher. He was a football coach, a former football player for Western. He fought courageously against colon cancer. He passed away a couple years ago, uh, dad of three kids. And in his honor, we just wanted to keep furthering education and opportunities for people that deserve them. And so in the first two years of the scholarship, we were able to uh, put together a five, $600 donation to uh, students affiliated with Dad Club. And, of course, in year three, a global pandemic strikes, and the ability to fundraise is really kind of in question. We haven't been asking for much this whole time and more so saying, hey, how can we help? We've been helping people with groceries and whatnot. And it really went above and beyond our, our wildest imaginations, right? Um, we had people that treated Bob during his cancer reach out and give us, you know, large donations towards the scholarship based on what they heard had happened and, um, you know, their desire to help. And then it just kept going from there. Uh, you know, LPA wrote us a check for $1,000. Um, a couple local area politicians gave us large donations. Some people who wanted to remain secret behind the scenes really, really went above and beyond and shelled out. And it really just kind of blew me away. We had a dad who's on CERB himself, and he heard what's happening, and he was so struck by not wanting our city to be represented by this act that he donated twice. He donated what he could for that week, and then when his next payment came, he donated again, which really just kind of it made my uh, made us all really excited to see that we can come together in such an important way as an anti-racism cause like this and, and uh, kind of stand up against it. Jeremy McCall joining us from Dad Club of London as we talk about a secret fundraiser that is now going to cover the cost of tuition and books for the wife of a member of the Dad Club of London who experienced a nasty act, a racist act, an act that you should never be put through. And this has turned around, and, and it has had a bit of a, a good ending after a very, very bad beginning. Jeremy, thanks so much for sharing the story with us. As far as, as where things go from here, when, when you first told the family, when, when you first told exactly what was happening, what was the reaction on their end? Uh, so I reached out to Mo and I said, hey, let's meet up for uh, outdoor parking lot, socially distanced uh, coffee. Uh, please bring your wife and your daughter. I've always wanted to meet them. And then we invited a bunch of the people who contributed to come out for a little surprise party. In normal times, you know, we would have had some cake and some punch and all that. But we'd be a little bit more cautious of keeping them apart and not sharing things. And so they kind of walked across the parking lot and they were looking because they were confused because there were so many more people than they expected. Uh, there was a police car there because one of our members is an officer and he was uh, actually just getting off work. And they uh, walked up and they thought it was maybe just like a dad club meeting or something. And then when we found out that they, uh, we were all there for them, they were really touched. We were able to give their daughter a giant 1100 piece Lego set. 
we were able to give Maurice a $100 prepaid MasterCard to go do something nice for himself for once as opposed to his family. And then last we gave his wife the card and it had a nice note that, you know, we all believe in her, we all stand with her, and we all stand against what their family experienced. And then we flipped the card over, there was a check taped to the back. And uh, so when she saw the check, she started crying. Mo started laughing and they were just pretty, pretty stunned that so many people that they'd never even met before were so willing to go above and beyond words and put, you know, those words and those feelings into action and to do something meaningful to show that this is not what our community is going to stand for. Jeremy, thank you for being a part of this. Please thank everybody else who was a part of this as well, because this is what it's about. And you just made the best example of that. Absolutely. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to tell our story, and I appreciate everyone that's willing to join us and to do meaningful things to create change. Jeremy, keep doing what you're doing and stay safe, okay? You too, Mike. Have a great day. All right. Take care. That's Jeremy McCall. He is with Dad Club London. And this organization has come together, and it, it has such amazing people involved in it already where they just they just want to do good and this this goes above and beyond doing good this this is what it's about what are you going to do next well this is what they did they helped out a family who was new to canada who had experienced as jeremy outlined mo had experienced a, a terrible act i mean that you know, you're new to a country and you think, is this is this what I'm going to have to put up with? Is this is this what it is? You know, somebody pulling up to a drive-thru and mocking me and throwing money at it. Really? This, this country is supposed to be so great. And this is what it's like? And then to turn that around, that's what it's about. Thank you to Dad Club of London for telling that story. Now, in terms of Major League Baseball, the thing that you need to know, just very quickly, if you were tuning in to listen to our baseball conversation, the thing that you need to know is that you've got people squabbling over things that have nothing to do with COVID-19 and the pandemic. This, this is two sides, and this will be introduced in other ways, and we won't see them, where you've got two sides that use this as an opportunity. And that's exactly what's going on here. You've got two sides using this as an opportunity to try and, you know, make headway in collective bargaining negotiations or whatever it is. The thing that they should be looking at is, is it safe? And here's what's going to play out in the sports world in the next few weeks. Because the commissioner of the National Basketball Association, Adam Silver, admitted today they realize there are some players who are not going to feel safe and they're willing to accept that. They're not going to order players to play. They're not going to do that. And Major League Baseball is, by all accounts, not ordering anybody to do anything. So here's what's going to be interesting. As training camps are set to open and there are now dates for the NHL or the NBA, you are going to now put it to the players, and the players are going to have to decide, do I want to do this? And it's going to be interesting to see how many want to do this. We are lucky enough to have Ben Nicholson-Smith with us from Sportsnet.ca. Ben, how are things going on this Tuesday? Things are going pretty well. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, it's it's weird, a weird time in the world, weird time in baseball, but otherwise things are good. 
Okay. All right. Well, at least that's, yeah, it's, it is a weird time in baseball. Can you help us to understand how the commissioner was so confident that there would be a season and now seems to be suggesting quite heartily that there may not be one? It is hard to understand. And I think this is where you have a lot of fans and a lot of players scratching their heads at this really turn uh, from Rob Manfred, who recently, as last week, was saying there's a 100% chance that baseball will be back, and now he's saying he's not so sure. I mean, if you're a fan and you switch positions like that, that's fine. You're entitled to that. If you're the commissioner of a league, you, of all people, should be in a position to know exactly how likely it is that your league will be able to return to play and what will have to happen for that to occur. So it's really um, upsetting a lot of players and a lot of fans because Manfred seems to be delaying at a time that the players continue telling the league, we're ready to go, tell us when and where. So what is the real sticking point then? What is happening here that continues to kind of send this down a path that the other leagues that are trying to get back to playing, the NBA and the National Hockey League, don't seem to have faced? Well, there are a couple of things going on. One is that the owners, according to some reports, including one by Ken Rosenthal, um, the, the owners are divided. And some of the owners are eager to play, and other owners would prefer to sit out the season and, and with that, sit out the, the expenses that go along with it, not pay players, not risk grievances. They would rather take a pass on 2020. Now, that is, by the reporting that we've seen, a small subset of owners. But still, if that exists, then you're going to have conflict within the group of 30 owners. And then secondly, even as a, as a broad group, the owners seem hesitant to, to want to pay the players for a more extended season. They seem generally on board with the idea of a 50-game season, but 70 games, which would require more payment to the players, is something that they are hesitant to, to, to embrace. So really, you, you run into this situation where the players and owners are in this stalemate, and it really is disappointing for the state of the game. Ben Nicholson-Smith joining us from Sportsnet.ca as we talk about Major League Baseball. Baseball did some damage to itself when it was really the first league to sit out and not have a champion. We've now seen that happen again. What damage could be done here? Would it be something that fans would get over very quickly, or do you think there's more at stake here? Well, I, I think the damage, if, if baseball were to sit out of the season, would be immense. There's no doubt about that in my mind. If other leagues are coming back and doing it safely and figuring out the finances, there's really no excuse for baseball not to do the same. And so there is the possibility of a huge, huge stain on the game that would last for a long time and that would be hard to recover from. However, we're not there yet. Just because Rob Manfred is wavering a little bit on his promise, doesn't mean that they aren't going to be able to come together on some sort of agreement, and it doesn't mean that the saner minds on either side won't be able to prevail and won't be able to persuade people that, hey, this is a perfect time for us to be in the spotlight. People are at home. People want the entertainment. Let's take advantage of that. So I still think there's a chance to escape, but the worst-case scenario would look pretty bad. So, Ben, what are you looking for next to give you a hint as to what may happen here? Yeah, that's a good question. Really, the response from the players has been pretty clear. They've said to the owners that we want to play. You can tell us when. You can tell us where. We're ready to go. You pay us on a per-game basis. We're excited to get out there. 
So their message has been clear. So now, to me, what this where where this goes is the owners, and it's on them to get together and figure out amongst the thirty of them what they want to do. And if what they want to do is play a seventy game season, there's still time to do that. They still have that option on the table. If they want to delay and try to try to kick dust up for another couple of weeks, they have that option as well. At which point in all likelihood toward the end of June, we would see the owner's mandate uh, a season in the 50 to 60 game range. And then we would have baseball in that form. But either way, this is on the owners now to figure out the next step. Ben, we really appreciate the insight. Thanks for bringing us all up to date. My pleasure, Mike. Be well, and hopefully have baseball soon to talk about once again. Let's hope so. We need some more distractions. That is Ben Nicholson-Smith from Sportsnet.ca. So in the court of the owners at the moment, and as he points out, there is a divide. Some that think, let's just sit this out. And when you've got that, when you've got a divided room, you got to repair that, you got to figure out what a consensus is, and then go. And right now, they haven't been able to do that. Long-term care homes have been greatly affected by this COVID-19 pandemic. We know that. We know a few other things because of the effect of this pandemic about long-term care homes. The Premier said he would put an iron ring around them, and right now we still don't have much that has been reopened. I mean, we're still talking about in the future finding ways to have personal visits with people who are living in long-term care. But we know that there are 626 long-term care facilities in the province. We know that 79,000 people call those facilities home. And we also know, and the Premier has said this, that so many of those people have been let down, some have lost their lives. So what do we do? How do we make this better? Joining us right now, we are very pleased to have with us Dr. Doris Grinspun, who is the CEO of the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario. Dr. Grinspun, how is Tuesday going for you? Hi, thank you for having us, Mike. And uh, we issued uh, last week, and Minister Fullerton and the Premier are in possession of that. We made it public a nursing home basic care guarantee, Mike. Um, Four hours of nursing and personal support work per day, per resident, is not too much to ask. This means 0.8, 48 minutes of an RN in 24 hours, 60 minutes of an RPN in 24 hours, and 2.2 hours of a personal support work care in 24 hours. If that is too much to ask, let's not talk about doing better for seniors in nursing homes because already in 2017, four hours of care were promised, never delivered, never, never delivered. What residents get today, Mike, is about 2.9 hours in 24 hours. Just picture that. And the majority is unregulated care. We need the unregulated care for sure, but we also need to beef up every care, including RN and NP, uh, one NP for 120 residents. And the other thing we don't have is one person, one nurse, dedicated to infection control and quality improvement. 
hospitals, everybody else has it, nursing homes don't. So it's time to put the money where the promise is. Uh, we have heard for 24, 21 years, Mike, 21 years, 35 reports, and nothing has happened, government after government after government. So this time we want deliverables, no more reports. That puts it into perspective. 35 reports have been done. So it's not like we haven't known that something needed to be improved. You're saying 35 reports have indicated it needed to be improved? And, Mike, those include inquiries and inquests of serious, serious issues. If I tell you what's happening on July 31st, you, like all the media, and like most politicians and like most nurses will say, I don't know what's July 31st. July 31st is when Minister Fullerton needs to put in the legislature a plan for the regulated staff in nursing homes that came from another report, from an inquest two years ago that delivered the recommendations in, June, in July of 2019. And people already forgot. This is why we're so afraid that we will get into this yet another cycle of reports and reports and we are investigating and we are looking and we and then people forget and nothing happens mike nothing yeah. happens that's it and we've talked about that with regard to a few different things where if it kind of fades into the background it goes yeah. away unless yeah. it directly affects you you stop paying attention to it next thing you know everything continues so dr grinspun you mentioned that you're you're asking for 4 hours a day for residents and you've indicated that right now we're at 2.9 hours per That's day correct. of care That's correct. so how I'm... big a jump is that i mean to say to go from 2.9 hours to 4 hours for most of us doesn't sound like a big jump but when we're talking about care how big a jump is that well it's it's it just, right it is a, a good increase that will improve the safety and the quality of care of residents in nursing homes i mean if you picture how long it takes to support a person to even drink a glass of water which they have a right like any one of us to drink if you picture what it takes to bring people to the dining room when things will improve if you picture what it takes to take a person to the washroom rather than have them there. If you picture what it takes to change, you know, the tenants at night when they're sleeping in soiled uh, diapers. You know what I mean? This, if we want to do good, humane care, that is the care that we would like our parents and ourselves to have, we better start to put the hours of care that are needed and the, sup- the oversight of the 48 minutes, 48 minutes of direct care of an RN, that's nothing in 24 hours, and 60 minutes of an RPN per resident per day, per 24 hours. That's nothing, and it needs to happen. Listen, the second wave of COVID may be around the corner. Hopefully not, but everybody's thinking fall, fall, fall. Hopefully not, but we cannot live on the hopefully we need to live on, let's be ready for it, and let's put the staffing now. The major problem with nursing homes of why things went so wrong is because they were not staffed to the way they needed, and, of course, then they didn't have the PPE. We want to correct that. They need to be staffed where it's needed, and we gave the prescription for that. We gave the formula with the nursing home basic care guarantee, and they need the PPE now. 
Not to tell us there will be, but they need the PPE in storage in their own homes. Dr. Doris Grinspun joining us, CEO of the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario. Dr. Grinspun has mentioned July 31st. That goes back to basically Bill 175, does it not, which was looking at this initially? Uh, no, Bill 175 is related to the um, connecting uh, people to home care. I just presented to them today. The July 31st relates, I don't want to name the, the person, this is because we don't want to name killers, but this is, remember, that eight residents were killed and there was mm. an inquiry. That relates to Justice Gelis' inquiry that took two years. An inquiry takes two years, lots of money, and lots of recommendations. One of those recommendations from Justice Gelis that was that Minister of Long-Term Care, which is Minister Fullerton, needs to put a report in the legislature on July 31st of 2020, which is, you know, not long from now, on the adequacy of regulated staff, because there is no regulated staff in nursing homes now, very little in the legislature, so we can prevent the terrible things that are totally and absolutely preventable. Well, we remember that inquiry that you're referring to very, very well in this area, absolutely. Dr. Doris Grinspun joining us. Dr. Grinspun, we've heard from workers in long-term care homes saying, we don't know what to do, we don't have the staffing levels that we need, I wish I had more time, but by the time I dress somebody, I have to move on and dress somebody else, and by the time I help somebody with something, maybe going to the bathroom, I have to go and help somebody with something else. How do we ensure that that is alleviated? That will be alleviated with the staffing formula that we are asking because we will be moving from 2.9 to 4 hours so that is a good increase on staffing, right? That will alleviate it. It will not be rich or generous, let me be clear, but it will be at least uh, a way of staff to provide safe and quality care, and also to feel that they're doing meaningful work rather than rushing nonstop, unable to provide the quality of care that is needed. Because those homes that are doing very good, which let me remind people, is the great majority of them, those homes are doing heroic work, their stuff. And we are also asking, remember, for one nurse practitioner per 120 residents, that those homes... There is about 70 of them that have nurse practitioners on site. They are all the time there. The entire shift is not virtual. They are there physically, and they provide an oversight that is phenomenal, plus the one infection control person, a nurse that has the expertise for infection control and quality improvement. Then we will start to see that things will start to shape in nursing homes in the way that everybody wants families want, residents need, and of course staff also wants that very much. Dr. Grinspun, just one final thing, and that is the topic of inspections, that we need better inspections. How do you feel about inspections and how they might impact what you are hoping to see in your basic care guarantee? Uh, You know, Mike, you asked me at a very interesting time because I just spoke with the director of nursing in one of the homes. And she said to me, inspections, the way they are now, are not helping because she was told by one inspector, basically, 
that they were asked, peel the onion until you find something. You know, inspections need to be sensical. Inspections need to happen unadvised, like don't announce them. They need to be balanced with also recognizing good practices. That never happens. That never happens, Mike. No, no, nowhere in those government reports you can identify which homes are doing fantastic and why. Was it like we have homes? We work with evidence-based practice. They do phenomenal work as best practice spotlight organizations. That doesn't get mentioned in the inspections. In fact, you know what? When they do very good because they experience less less residents falls, less pressure injuries on residents less residents with incontinence because they toilet train them and help them to go to the washroom. You know what happens the next year? Their funding goes down, Mike. They yank their funding away because the system is based on pay by complexity only. If you do good practice, complexity of residents goes down. It's called CMI, case missing index. Complexity goes down, their funding gets taken away. Where we are saying you must let them keep the funding, not for shareholders, but to be reinvested in good care, in more staffing, in more programs, in better quality and better comprehensive and, and, and interrelational, you know, relational, emotional, and, 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 and physical care, all of it. Well, we appreciate your time and your work, Dr. Grinspun. Please keep up the fight that you are fighting. Thank you very much. We are, and we are also asking that families be let in, not just once a week, but actually more often, because these people don't have limitless time of years and years. They need to see their families. Their families need to see them. They're partners in care of the families. They're not visitors. There we are. Thanks so much, Dr. Grinspun. You keep safe. Thank you, and you too. Bye-bye. That is Dr. Doris Grinspun, CEO of the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario. So essentially what they've done, is they have submitted a basic care guarantee. Here's how you have to do it. And we talked about inspections. And as Dr. Grinspun pointed it out, yeah, you can't do the, we'll be there on Thursday at 2 p.m. Are, are you ready? Oh, you're not going to be ready then? How about we make it Friday at 4.30? We'll, we'll, that's what we'll do. No, you show up. You look. And we've got to remember that there are bottom lines to some of these places. And it's fine to have a bottom line, but it can't wag the dog. The bottom line can't wag the dog. You can't be looking to squeeze more out of the bottom line when it comes to health care. And that's what can happen, as Dr. Grinspun pointed to, when shareholders sit at a table and say, okay, we made a lot of good money last year. How do we make more? And that's that's fine for them, but you can't do that when you're talking about long-term care. You want to do that if you manufacture smartphones? Go. Do it all you want. You manufacture anything material? Please. Have all the shareholder meetings that you want to. You talk about squeezing every single cent out of what you're doing? No problem. If people will pay $1,000 for a phone, let them. And then you reap the benefits as shareholders. Go for it. In healthcare, when we're talking about the difference between quality of life 
and a poor quality of life, that's not where bottom line comes in. You can't have bottom line there. That's sick. That's bad. But that's what's happening in some of these places. So let's hope that we do see some change in that way. Because it can't work like that. That's not right. You've been listening to the London Live Podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3. 